With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening and welcome to a Tuesday night edition of BAMS Radio. We've had a little bit of a scheduling craziness with the holidays, but we wanted to get a show in, talk a little National Signing Day reaction, and then, as if sent from heaven, manna from heaven, such as it is, a big transfer is coming to Alabama, just announced today, something to get excited about. Longtime listeners of the show will notice that I am, in fact, not Drew DeArmond. Drew is traveling for the holidays, so you've got William and I tonight. We're going to do our general thing, go back and forth, talk everything, kind of catch up. But uh, just let's see if I can do the Drew introduction for you, William. Former Crimson Tider from 89 to 92, 1992 National Championship. 1992 National Champion, sorry, William Redfish Barger. How you doing tonight, Redfish? Doing good, Thomas. How about you, buddy? I'm doing great. Uh, just to explain to listeners what happened over the past 10 days, um, my father had to have emergency open heart surgery about three weeks ago, and then he had to go back into the hospital for some a little more cleanup and corrective stuff uh, last two Sundays ago. So it's been kind of wild and woolly, but I literally just helped him get into his house before I started recording the show. So if you knew about it, thank you for the prayers. If you didn't, you know, be thinking about us. We're, we're really happy. I know I'd mentioned that the SEC championship is real special because this was going on this year. And this just kind of continued it. But, you know, when not existential family problem go, goes on, William, Nick Saban has lined up the number two national ranked class in 2022. And then, oh, by the way, you know, second verse, same as the first, but a whole lot louder and a whole lot worse. Nick Saban starting to tear apart the transfer portal. Jameer Gibbs, the running back from Georgia Tech, just announced today that he was going to transfer to Alabama. He joins Eli Ricks. And then there's the hot rumor of Keyshawn Boutte, the wide receiver from LSU, coming to Tuscaloosa. That's been unconfirmed. But uh, I can tell you, William, I'm really looking forward to should Boutte come to Bama because I've got my graham crackers, I've got my marshmallows, I've got my Hershey bars. I'm going to be making s'mores in this firestorm because it's going to be hilarious to watch. What do you make of Nick Saban's dominance in the transfer portal? Well, I mean, I just think it, again, is just another feather in his cap of, of the, the label that he has so deservedly earned as the greatest head uh, head coach in college football history. Um, you know, he revolutionized, you know, college football recruiting, you know, during the, the regular recruiting period, um, you know, starting with that epic 2008 class. And then it's just been able to maintain that level of excellence, you know, ever since January of uh, 2007 and, um, excuse me, February of 2007. And, you know, now you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, when, when, when every little, you know, flash in the pan, um, trend, you know, sexy trend that comes out in college football, 
you know, everybody thought they had kind of found the the elixir for for Nick Saban's defenses when the the hurry up, no huddle, spread, dual threat quarterback offenses, and you know, and he did struggle to adapt to that. You know, had to make some personnel changes and go away from, you know, having a 350 pound nose guard and you know some heavy legged, bigger you know guys to set the edge back when there were you know, pro style offenses versus, you know, you got to have guys now in your front seven that can play in space, especially at outside linebacker, inside linebacker. And, um, you know, he's done it once again with the transfer portal, you know, much like you saw him embrace the, the NIL stuff. I mean, you haven't seen him, um, you know, speak out against that the way a lot of coaches have, he's embraced it and you know, has figured out a way to, you know, have a, a first year, um, it was, you know, became a millionaire through out the NIL process before he ever took his first snap as a starter. So, you know, the guy may be 70 years old now, but he just continues to, uh, you know, age like a fine bottle of red wine. Um, and I think you're going to continue. I mean, he, he kind of set the standard last year, um, you know, with the transfer portal only took two guys, but both of them were, you know, instant starters on this team and Henry Toa Toa and, Jamison Williams and you know um, I'm, I'm sure that uh, uh, you know Ricks is going to be in play for a starting corner spot and um, you know Gibbs is probably going to have a say so and who the starting running back is um, you know in 2021 especially with uh, um, you know th- that running back room being as banged up as it is um, at least as we sit here um, you know in late December so um, you know, several of them aren't going to be available for spring practice. And, uh, you know, as far as the, um, you know, the, the Keyshawn Boutte rumors, you know, I think there's two ways of looking at it right now. Um, I, in a perfect world, if he was going to jump ship, you kind of would like to have seen him do it um, where he could participate in spring practice. But then on the other side of the fence, it certainly didn't seem to affect or slow down Jamison Williams not showing up in Tuscaloosa until this past summer. That's very true. And, uh, William, we are actually joined by Drew DeArmond. He, uh, he <laughs> stopped his whirlwind tour to come on with us. Drew, how you doing this evening? Yeah, yeah. What's up, guys? You know, I'm, my voice is a little shot, but it's better. Uh, I didn't realize until tonight, you know, that you guys uh, didn't get a chance to do the show Sunday because I looked for it. But, I'm glad to be on with you. I'm here in Fort Walton Beach. We're in a basketball tournament. We just won our first game. We're going to go out to eat as a squad at seven. So I've got some time. And and I wanted to kind of chime in because of the Gibbs situation. You know, we've been talking about it and speculating on it for a couple weeks now. And it's official. And I think, you know, William made a great point about the other backs being banged up. You know, and, I, and again, I haven't seen Kamar Wheaton yet. He's got to get healthy. You know, you're hearing microfracture surgery. So that's going to be a probably a long process. But one big thing is Gibbs should be here in spring practice and he will be healthy so he can really impress the coaches and kind of, uh, you know, kind of, you know, grab the bull by the horns. I do think he and Jason McClellan, and I love Roy Dell Williams, and I like Trey Sanders, but. I really think he and Jason McClellan can be a dynamic duo because I think they're both really versatile. You know, I, I saw Jordan Reed, the NFL, an NFL uh, draft uh, guy that works for, uh, you know, that covers the, the draft each year. He basically said Gibbs was another Alvin Kamara. You know, we never – I know how high William was on Kamara when he, he was the first person to show me his film when he came out of Norcross. 
We never saw him suit up for Alabama because he was a little immature, but we know how good he is. If you can get a weapon like that and, you know, and, and have him compliment a Jason McClellan, a Trey Sanders, or a Roy Dell Williams, you know, I think Alabama's running back room is going to be dynamic. Certainly, uh, there could be some, you know, attrition down the road, but you don't have a lot of healthy guys. So if you can get a dynamic weapon like Gibbs, you do it. Uh, he had 2,000 all-purpose yards the last two years at Georgia Tech with trash around him. Uh, we saw what Jamison Williams did after he got out of Ohio State, which had a lot of talent in the room. But once he was given an opportunity to showcase his ability, uh, it was no, there was no question he was a five-star level talent. I think Jameer Gibbs is the same way. Uh, and I'm super excited uh, to see him play. I'm super excited for Ricks. I think he's a plug-and-play guy. Because uh, you don't know what Jalen Armour Davis is going to do after this season. We do know Job will be gone. Uh, and then again, uh, I was asked today, well, what about Kamar Wheaton? What about Roy Dell Williams? What about Trey Sanders? What do you expect them to do? And I said, compete. And that's what you got to do. You got to compete. You understand that injuries happen, but you don't want to be caught shorthanded. And Jameer Gibbs, to me, was too good to, to, to look to, to not take. And then with, with Butte. We'll just see if he ends up going into the portal. I know he has good you know, chemistry with Miles Brennan, who's now returning. I still think there's a chance that Butte comes out. He could still even enroll early at Alabama if he waits till almost January 1. So I still think you have to monitor that closely. He would be too good to turn down. And William and Thomas, I also still expect Alabama to be out there kind of with their head on a swivel looking for a, a defensive tackle. I wouldn't be surprised if an interior DL was something, you know, they were looking at. I mean, we know Fedarian Mathis is going to move on. If you could find an experienced playmaking guy, I do think we're talking recruiting tonight. If, if there's one area, William, in the recruiting class that I thought Alabama may have fell short, I thought they didn't get one more defensive lineman. Well, you can kind of do that and get him out of the portal now. And you can also kind of, you know, reassess what's out there for February. I think Christian Miller's still out there from the state of Georgia who didn't sign. Uh, so we'll see. Devin Campbell, supposedly the O-line uh, guy from Texas, he didn't sign with the Longhorns. So they they may have they, – if they, if they have that lot luxury, if they don't get Ernest Green and it sounds like he's going to go to Georgia, you know, they, they could if they could find the right offensive lineman, I think they would take an offensive lineman as well in, in February. But, again – I think if you're looking at defensive line, you might, you know, if there's the, if the right prospect is out there, you could see Alabama taking one in February or perhaps taking one out of the portal. But that's just my take. And I think Ricks and Gibbs, much like Jamison Williams and Toa Toa, are plug-and-play starters, both of them. Yeah, and I, I agree with you on the, you know, if, if you look at the class based on the, you know, the numbers and quality by position, I, I feel like it was a <laughs> – you know, a very heavily um, slanted offensive signing class. Um, you know, I think if you, you know, beggars, you know, wanted to be choosers, I'd love to have seen them get, you know, one more, you know, slam dunk offensive tackle prospect. I, I'm I'm kind of on the fence on Tyler Booker. I know he can't play left tackle, maybe right tackle. You know, if not, he becomes a dominant offensive guard. So I'd like to have seen him get one more, you know, <laughs> Elijah Pritchett, so to speak, out of this class, yeah, but take it taking that out of the equation. I mean, when you factor in what they got at quarterback, you know, now the three running backs and the the, the I think five wide receivers. 
uh, two tight ends. I mean, they, they really went heavy, you know, in the offensive side of the football in this recruiting class. Agree with you, would like to have seen, you know, maybe one more defensive lineman, uh, maybe one more inside linebacker. I think they signed two really good, you know, quality edge guys um, in, in uh, uh, Campbell and, and Alexander. And uh, so, you know, but I think all in all, they, they met their needs. Um, you know, they've signed a lot of inside linebackers in the last two classes. So, you know, that's, that's something to factor in there as well. But, um, you know, I was very pleased with the way it turned out. Um, you know, and, and that one thing too, Drew, to, to, you know, we have to consider is, you know, all those guys from last year's class at the defensive line position that basically were all red shirted, going to have a lot of, you know, depth along the defensive line, really within the whole front seven, um, you know, for this 2022 defense to be constructed around. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I, I, I think it was a really good class. I mean, it, they finished where I thought they would. I didn't think they would beat out Texas ATM. And I say ATM for obvious reasons. Uh, you know, I think you know they, 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 they're taking NIL out to the fullest. They're they're pushing the envelope. They got a lot of great players. They got a lot of great defensive linemen. Their OL and DL were really good in the class. They got two big time receivers. But I do think I love Alabama's receiving class. Uh, Aaron Anderson is so dynamic, William. I think he's probably he he could arguably be the best receiver in the country. I know. Evan Stewart got a lot of pub. He played half a season. Everything I hear about Aaron Anderson is that he was totally underrated out of Edna Carr. You know, scored six TDs in one game. I think he had three or four kick returns for touchdowns. He's a little bit small, but he's dynamic. He can play, you know, he can return punts, kickoff. He can line up inside. He can line up outside. Chaz Preston is like a Mechie kind of guy. And then Kendrick Law is really versatile. He's bigger than you think. He can play running back, wide receiver. He can return kicks. They swept Louisiana when it came to those uh, those prospects there. And then if you add Butte on top of it, I mean, it would totally devastate LSU. But I think they got a really good group of wide receivers. And I think Isaiah Bond is a guy that can either play a wide receiver or corner. He can, he's going to be like a Trevon Diggs. They have to figure out where they want to put him. But he's a 10-400 guy. So I really think they did a great job. And I think Ty Simpson is a five-star talent at the quarterback position. I'm sure you've read the early reviews. He's got an outstanding arm, outstanding mobility, really good athlete. Uh, He's someone I think Jeremy Pruitt may have signed if he had been able to keep Tennessee afloat. He couldn't do it. Alabama reaps the benefits of that. And he really watched closely what Mac Jones did in his development. And I think he has the right mindset. He knows he needs to develop as a quarterback behind a Bryce Young. He will also push. He, I think he, uh, you know, and uh, Jalen Milrow will push each other. Uh, no disrespect. I think Paul Tyson's either going to be a career backup at Alabama or transfer somewhere like Samford because he just, I don't think he's nearly as good as these other three guys. And then it also, with the, with the Quinn Ewers movement uh, to Texas, it still gives Alabama a shot to get Arch Manning. Uh, now that's a, that's a, that, that's another can of worms because there'd be a lot of pressure to play a Manning. But I mean, again, it would it, it, as soon as Bryce leaves, it would be a Ty Simpson, you know, Milrow Manning show to see who's going to start. Somebody would probably transfer, but that's a problem that you have with quarterbacks. But still, I think they really hit on all areas of this class. Uh, you know, as you said, maybe short of defensive lineman. But the beautiful thing is, you still got February. 
you still got the transfer portal. And William, I know there's going to be a lot of teeth gnashing around the country, but to me, you know, it's that old Johnny Paycheck song. You can take this job and shove it because I'm just telling you, Saban warned everybody about this transfer portal stuff and that Alabama was going to reap a lot more benefit than negativity. I know Marcus Banks transferred to Mississippi State, but I think we all understand, even if they don't come in for spring practice, that if Nick Saban looks at his roster and realizes he's short at a spot or two, that he's going to go back to the portal. I wouldn't be surprised, William, if uh, and we've seen JV and Cohen already tweeting that it's not over. Alabama may add another player or two at crucial positions, and I agree with you on the O-line. Elijah Pritchett, I think, is underrated. I think he's a big-time tackle. I'd like them to get another one, but they don't grow them on trees if they can't get Ernest Green. That may have to wait till next year. I don't know that I see Alabama going into the portal to get someone. I still think that uh, J.C. Latham and Tommy Brockermeyer are going to be okay and going to be fine. But I think we'll know more. If, if Nick Saban is not happy in spring practice with where they are, I wouldn't be surprised if Alabama did look at a tackle at that point. But I think Nick Saban's going to let spring practice maybe decide some of that. Yeah, too. And, you know, another, uh, the the one wide receiver that we haven't mentioned, the the Prentice kid from right down the road here in Calera. Yeah, not bad. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you know, is, is another dynamic guy that's a, you know, a, a legit 4-4, maybe even a, a high 4-3-9 guy that's um, had a tremendous senior year, can, you know, return punts and kickoffs as well. Um, you know, that, that, that running, I mean, that wide receiver room has just become, um, you know, really, really crowded. If Butte does jump on board, it's just going to be ridiculously crowded. Um, and, and and there again, you know, if, if Alabama isn't able to, you know, reel the, the Manning Corporation in, you know, they're already in very good shape with a five-star quarterback out in California. His name escapes me. He's a ugulele, Tungalavoa, one of those. Yeah. Um, you know, that's one of the – I think he's like the third-rated – you know, dual threat quarterback in the country for next year, something like that. But, you know, I, I think it's safe to say at, uh, at this juncture that uh, recruiting quarterbacks and picking out the right one is, is in the rearview mirror for, for Nick Saban and Alabama over the last five years. Um, and I agree with you. I think, you know, Coach Saban will wait and see how the, the dust settles at the offensive line position in spring practice. They've got a lot of numbers, um, you know, there, you know, going in, we'll have to wait and see. I, you know, and I do think, you know, the left tackle and right tackle positions going into spring practice are going to be two of the the most watched position battles of spring. And, uh, you know, they've got a lot of those pieces coming back, um, depending on who decides to go pro and who comes back um, on the defensive side of the football. And, you know, before you jumped on, I think, you know, Thomas and I were you know, kind of both in agreement on, on 2022, regardless of what happens, you know, in the college football playoff over the next couple of weeks. Um, you know, I think Alabama is probably going to be the odds on favorite to, you know, win the national championship next year. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't see how they're not, if they can, you know, cause I really do think they need one more defensive lineman and really out of the portal, somebody that can be a plug and play guy, because William Thedarian Mathis has been a revelation the last two years. You've gushed about how he's played. I still don't think he gets enough respect. Uh, he's got eight sacks. He's been very disruptive over the last two years. He's developed into a really, uh, you know, a front line, all SEC, really all American type guy that you have to account for all the time. 
He's really the only one, uh, you know, uh, that, that they've got right now. That's the truth. There's some good players on that line. And really, uh, LeBron Ray, who I'm really happy for, uh, I'm really happy for him that he's started to get healthy and be a difference maker. He could be huge in the playoff. And we'll talk more about Cincinnati later. But I'm glad you brought up Kobe Prentice. I, I should have mentioned him. He had a, a tremendous senior year. As you know, he went to Alabama's camp kind of as an unknown. He ran four three-eighths consecutively. He was uncoverable. And then I'll tell you this, the most dynamic player arguably in this class, and he doesn't get it. And it's really why I didn't really – I wasn't too too uh, concerned when Jaleel Skinner flipped to Miami. Good, good get for, you know, Mario, who I have a lot of respect for. But, you know, I really love Amari Nye Black. I mean, everything I've heard – is that Saban, I, one story I was even told, and I'm trying to, you know, to make sure that's the case, but I was told that, it, that Nick Saban's told some folks around him that there were three guys in camp that he's had at Alabama since he's been the head coach, that you took a look at them the first time you saw them, and they were must-have difference makers. One is a no-brainer. When he got there and saw Julio Jones, uh, you know, when he was trying to, change the culture and lay the foundation. He knew he had to have Julio Jones. Well, the other one, we've heard all the stories about Amari Cooper, who basically Doug Nussmeyer and those guys brought in, and Saban was like, I don't know who the hell this guy is, but we can't cover him. We've got to sign him. And I've heard Nye Black has been considered in the same kind of class. It's a different position. He's more of a tight end, flex kind of guy. Hopefully, Jaleel Billingsley with a better functioning brain. No disrespect to Jaleel, but we all understand. But I did a little bit more maturity. But Nye Black, William, I've watched his senior film. I don't know if you've watched it yet. He, he is an unbelievable matchup nightmare. Uh, you know, they call him Jurassic because he's so long and he's got such a, a big-time wingspan. He can get down the field. He can make plays catching the football. But honestly, I thought Jaleel Skinner would have been a kind of a luxury as a third tight end. You know, the young man from Ohio that they signed is more of an inline guy. Nye Black is extremely athletic and a matchup nightmare. He's like a, a jumbo wide receiver. And I think when you come, when you put him with these other wide receivers they've signed and who they already have on the team, and then you've got a quarterback like Ty Simpson and you could bring in an Arch Manning, I think uh, offensively you just have to be really excited about the future. And it may be one reason why we see Bill O'Brien stick around for, you know, another season or two in Tuscaloosa before he gets his next head coaching opportunity. Yeah, and I'm, I'm about 90% sure this is correct. I mean, it's been, shit, seven or eight years ago now, maybe longer. But I'll, I'll add to your Amari Cooper urban legend. If my memory is correct, Amari initially wasn't in Tuscaloosa for the Alabama football camp. He yeah. was up there competing at a, in a seven-on-seven tournament and the Alabama had some people close to the program that were watching the tournament and were blown away by them. Um, you know, got with the seven on seven coach and, and got him over there for the regular camp. And, you know, the rest is history, but, um, the, uh, oh God, you said something at the end when you were talking that my, Oh, about, uh, you know, Bill O'Brien, I, I think, you know, God knows, it, you know, if you're a coordinator at Alabama, you know, you're, you're under a microscope, every play call, you know, every blitz on defense, if it doesn't work out is, you know, 
raped ad nauseum, you know, on Sunday morning all the way through the next game. But, you know, I think if you look at the finished product, and it's still not finished, but but for the most part it is, you know, having a, a Heisman Trophy quarterback that's a first-year starter, um, you know, first-team, uh, you know, all-SEC running back and Brian Robinson, um, and, and finishing fourth in – total offense and and you know certainly by the end of the year you were doing it with a one-legged brian robinson the former fourth team tailback and trey sanders being the backup and your third team center and your second team right tackle um i i'd say there's a lot of people out there kind of like the uh plate of fried crow that i had to eat with thomas after the georgia game um, there, there's a lot of people and look, look, there's certainly things on a game to game basis that I wish, you know, O'Brien had done a little differently, you know, quicker to make adjustments, whatever. But when you look at the semi finished product, the guy did a damn good job with what he had to work with. He really did William. And I'm going to tell you something too. I know you mentioned it already, maybe one, one more inside backer, but I really like the guys that they got, um, you know, I, cause Sean Murphy won the high school Buckus award. Uh, he, he played in a really good league out in Virginia. You know, he's a he's a beast of a kid. And, I mean, he's going to have to wait because they've still got so much depth there. Uh, but he may be good enough to jump some guys. And I'm, I'm excited about him. And then Jihad Campbell. I know people were pissed about Marvin Jones Jr. But they, they're really not – it's almost like when you got a bird in the hand, you, you think about two in the bush. But Campbell was a guy that was a top 25 overall player from IMG that may be better than Marvin Jones Jr. And they were able to get him and Jeremiah Alexander. So you got two good outside backers, a really good inside backer. And I know that football has changed and I know he's too heavy right now, but when you look at Jaheim Otis and I, and again, we talked about Alabama being probably a defensive lineman short, but the ones that they were able to get in here uh, in this class, Isaiah Hastings, who's still, you know, basically developing but has really i think taken to coaching in the in the in the united states after coming over from canada and then when you look at curtis perry his first step reminds you of elvis doomerville he ended up no disrespect to jeremiah alexander but i think he was the best player in the state of alabama by the end of his senior year 23 sacks had three sacks for a dominant you know a football team at pike road in the 5a state championship game i thought it was imperative that you keep uh, Curtis Perry at home and you don't let him go to Auburn because they don't need a pass rusher like that. And then when you get Jaheim Otis, who can move for a guy that's – if he can get down to 330, even though the bigger D tackles and noses are, are kind of becoming obsolete, I think he's a special player. He's a better version of Jordan Davis, in my opinion. He can be a very disruptive guy. He even has some pass rush ability. He was Mr. Football. Uh, from from his high school in Columbia, Mississippi. I thought it was huge to hold off Ole Miss for him. So to me, and then Walter Bob, I don't know if he's ever going to get eligible, but I hear Christian Barmore comparisons. I think they hit it out of the park with the four guys they got on the D-line. They just maybe need a portal guy to, to polish it off as a cherry on top of the Sunday. But I think the D-line class is underrated, and I think they did a hell of a job. Everybody's obsessed with Texas ATM, but I think Alabama more than held their own. Well, yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, Otis is a, is an early enrollee. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he's going to get to go through the winter conditioning program, spring practice and, and summer and fall camp. And, you know, we've seen them 
Um, you know, some guys in the past, you know, one Duran Payne that, that, you know, peeled that bad weight off pretty quickly and, you know, factored in and found a role, um, you know, as a true freshman. And, and certainly I think Otis um, has, has the chance to, to do that as well. And, and, you know, and another thing too, one thing that, you know, might settle, you know, a little bit of the, you know, the uncertainty on Alabama's numbers, maybe not being what some people think they should have been in this D-line class, um, is you have to kind of look ahead and just what's available from a five-star D-line standpoint next year in the state of Alabama. Um, you know, that's, that might be one of the most loaded classes um, in state, you know, at, at D-line, outside linebacker, and, you know, with, with some several high-quality corners. Um, you know, in the state next year might be why you saw them, you know, not, not go after any more, you know, corners in this class besides uh, the ones that they got. So, um, you know, Nick Saban's always one step ahead playing chess when everybody else is playing checkers. And, um, you know, I, 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 I do think, I think Otis is one guy that, you know, the fan base kind of monitor and, you know, look and see what he's doing, uh, you know, come April when spring practice, you know, kicks off. I mean, if he can get down to the, you know, 325, 330 range, um, you know, he can be a little bit more than, you know, than just a, a you know, a, a third and short, fourth and, you know, fourth and short guy um, and, and be more of a, you know, a two down player, which is all Jordan Davis proved to be for Georgia. Yeah, there's no question about it. I think, you know, he's got a lot of potential. In the secondary class, you know, they held off Miami for Earl Riddle. He's got really good bloodlines. His father was a cane and played in the NFL. Traquan Fagans, I know Saban really liked him in camp this summer. They wanted to wait and see him when he transferred from Oxford to Thompson. And I think he's going to be a guy that's either going to be a free safety or a star. He's a good player. Uh, Earl Little will be a corner. There's no doubt about that. And then the safety class, they got Jake Pope. He's, <clears throat> I think, an underrated guy. Uh, once again, I think his uh, – Skin complexion probably has people uh, that are questioning him a little bit. But when you look at his bloodlines, his dad, uh, you know, played next to Sean Dawkins, one of the great, you know, NFL and, and uh, college players from Clemson and then Philly. And he ended up being, you know, a Hall of Fame uh, player. His, of course, the uh, Pope's dad was the other starting safety for those Clemson teams. So he's got really good bloodlines. For whatever reason, Clemson stopped recruiting the kid heavily when he was a sophomore. A lot of people thought he was going to go to Georgia, but Alabama kind of outmaneuvered them for him. He was a two-sport guy. He also played some outfield and baseball, really good player. Uh, so, you know, I, I still think that Jake Pope has got a chance to be good. And then I love Antonio Kite. Look, man, he's only played two years of football, but he's, he's a dog. He likes to hit. He's really athletic in coverage. He's been a four-year basketball stalwart, and I'll get a chance to see him at the Huntsville City Classic coming up after Christmas. But and I, cause I don't think he's enrolling early, but still, I love his potential. Uh, his athleticism's off the charts. I think his best football is still ahead of him. So I really think that Alabama, and then when you put Ricks with that class, I think the secondary class has done a really, is really good. So I think that's an underrated part of the group too. And so to me, there's not a whole lot of, you know, weaknesses here. Uh, you know, I think they were, you know, maybe an offensive lineman or a D lineman short, but again, that can be addressed later. Uh, you know, either with all O-line, maybe after spring practice or even into next year's group, uh, and then D-line could be in the portal. And then, as William mentioned, with Peter Woods, you know, all these guys that are going to be 
uh, big-time Hunter Osborns, all these in-state defensive linemen uh, who are going to be big-time players in the state of Alabama next year. It's probably the, the greatest D-line class, you know, that we've ever seen. And so when you take into account all those guys and Alabama's going to position themselves, I think, strongly for all of them, then I, they could, you know, hit it out of the park like this O-line class in 2020. The D-line class could be the same deal. So I think, you know, there's a lot to be excited about. And certainly uh, I think when you look at it, uh, and, and how uh, Nick Saban and those guys were able to c- close out this group, which, you know, there was it was difficult at times because of Texas A&M, what they were doing, what Georgia was doing. Georgia was a red-hot team all year. But I think they were able to finish strong. And then when they were able to beat Georgia in the SEC championship game, I think it really proved that Alabama is still the elite program. And so I'm really excited to see these guys, some of them for spring practice, as we know, and then also – uh, you know, uh, going forward, uh, it, it, when the, some of the, when some of these guys report in the fall. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, I, I think this is another thing that, you know, Coach Saban started and and kind of created the trend on, you know, got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 12 of the signing class so basically half of the signing class you know will be enrolling early and going through spring practice and uh you know that that's you know can't be you know accented enough with what a a bonus that is to you know developing roster spots and chemistry and um you know i know we've still got a lot of work to do to finish the 2021 season out but you know nick saban is always thinking in advance and you know looking to the future so there again, this is two or three signing classes in a row where a bulk of the the signing class were early enrollees and, and uh, you know, got to go through the winter conditioning program and spring practice. Yeah, they did. And so it's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, how it all works out. Uh, I certainly, uh, you know, am uh, excited uh, to see, you know, how Jameer Gibbs does and how quickly he uh, – he uh, uh, he uh, he, is a, he adapts to the system for Alabama. I mean, that's a great get for the Crimson Tide. Arguably, the best running back on the trans in the transfer portal. There was some t- talk uh, that Tashard Choice, his running backs coach, leaving to go to first USC uh, might give them the inside track, but that didn't happen. Tashard ended up going to work for Sark at Texas, uh, but they weren't able to pull him. You know, Texas still has Bijan Robinson and Keelan Robinson. So again. Uh, you just have to understand uh, that uh, that uh, that those two guys. Uh, when you look at uh, Jameer Gibbs and Elijah Ricks, I still think they're, they're they should both be able to go through spring ball. So you're going to get a long look at them. The coaching staff will get a long look, and then these jobs and in, in, in iron sharpens iron. You know, competition makes everybody better, and so Kool Aid McKinstry will be better with that kid competing. Uh, you know, so will uh, certainly Kyrie Jackson. So. We're anxious to see, and even Jalen Armour Davis. I think he should come back. You know, I had somebody tell me today <coughs> that they thought Alabama should add a safety out of the portal. But quite frankly, even Jordan Davis, as good as he's been, I don't think he's a guy – or Jordan Battle, pardon me uh, – should be leaving early. I think he's someone that should be coming back. And the majority of the secondary should be returning and should be a very experienced group. And if you can – uh, and then another uh, uh, th- point I wanted to make, William, with the defensive line is you can retain some of your own guys. Uh, I know LeBron Ray is just now starting to get healthy and starting to make plays, 
Uh, but right now, he would probably be a guy that would be undrafted unless he just has a huge playoff. I think I've said this before on BAMs, but I really hope Nick Saban goes to him like he did B-Rob last year and Chris Owens and ask him to come back another year. And if LeBron's willing to put his body through that and thinks his body's going to hold up, he's a guy, if he could finally start playing up to his potential, William could be an all-SEC player uh, in a final season if he can stay healthy and stay on the field. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, if I think, you know, if Nick Saban can, you know, have that conversation and have it sink in and, and you know, have it work out, that would make Alabama's defensive line depth, which I think is already going to be really good, um, you know, that much better would give you, you know, an older, experienced guy. And, you know, something else, too, that um, we, we'd have to wait and see until about this time last year, or excuse me, this time next year to see if it plays out. Uh, but, you know, Gibbs, the running back, grew up a Georgia fan. And, uh, you know, the, the main reason why he um, you know, ended up at Georgia Tech is fourth and Kirby slow played him. And, you know, I think Alabama was probably going to take him until they figured out they could get Jason McClellan. And, uh, and, and you probably was a little bit up, more up front with him than, than fourth and Kirby was. But you may have another situation like you saw play out with, you know, Will Anderson, who um, – you know, grew up 70 miles from Athens, Georgia, you know, we could be, you know, laughing at another uh, misevaluation by fourth and Kirby this time next year. Well, I certainly hope we are. And I hope we, uh, we, we end up seeing uh, Georgia going 41 years without a championship. Nothing would make me better <laughs> than the Roman Harper, uh, you know, uh, but again, we'll see, but uh, you know, I'm excited about it. I'm excited uh, about the 2023 class too, because I know how talented it is. Uh, William, and I know you follow it very closely, just like I do. And uh, it's a class that I've been looking forward to uh, for many, uh, for a couple of years now, because you can just kind of see, uh, you know, how talented it was from a defensive line uh, perspective. You know, with LeBS Overton in the, in the state of Georgia, who used to be a resident of Tuscaloosa. His father worked for Nick Saban. I know, you know, Texas A&M wants him, but, uh, you know, I think Alabama is it has uh, – uh, position themselves with a chance to get him. I mean, they've already offered to Marion Parker at Central of Phoenix City, as we said, <laughs> Peter Woods, no doubt. James Smith, who's been at IMG and Carver Montgomery, he's another uh, arguably a top five player in America who I believe grew up an Alabama fan. So, you know, it's exciting. Peter Woods is considered by some to be as good a football player as come out of this state in many, many, many years, maybe 25 years. So, and I watched him for Thompson in the state championship game, he is an elite player. I, you know, the, the, the thought is that he is a, an Alabama lean. And then I watched Kelby Collins in the playoffs, a long, lean defensive end from Gardendale. Gardendale's been very good to the University of Alabama in the past with Willie Wyatt and those type of guys. So Kelby Collins is another one to watch. I know he grew up an Alabama fan. So just understand, this is a very special group. We've already mentioned Hunter Osborne at Hewitt Trustville. When I went and saw Hewitt, not this year, but last year, uh, you know, I was amazed at them because when I saw Hunter Osborne, uh, he was a sophomore, and I thought he looked better than Justice Finkley. And Finkley's going to Texas. But, again, uh, there's a lot of good young talent in this state. There's no doubt about it. And I don't think it's over with Rockwees McKeldry, uh, the young man from Anderson. I know he's committed to Georgia, but they haven't signed anywhere yet. So, Again, this is a class in 23. I think Alabama will be hard to beat out uh, for the top class of the country because I think for – you know, Nick Saban goes where the best players are. But with this in-state group being as good as it is, 
I think they'll be heavy on in-state kids, and I think it'll be a, 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 a group that's got a chance to be special because I think Nick Saban – I'm not saying they won't lose some coaches after this run. They, 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 he's always lost some. But I think they're going to position themselves strongly with these guys. And so when you take a look at last year's group and then this year's first and second, if you stack another number one class on top of it, Alabama's future is really, really bright, I think. Yeah, I agree. I haven't had a chance to check out um, you know, any of those twenty twenty three guys yet besides uh, you know, Peter Woods and, and Tony Mitchell and um the I'm probably butchering the pronunciation of his last name, but this Rick Rickshaw guy, um, you know, a dangerous, dangerous edge player might, you know, grow into yeah. a, a defensive end. As well. That's right. Yeah. 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 He's, he's nasty. He reminds me a lot of, of Curtis Perry, I guess, from a, you know, a recent um, comparison. And, uh, you know, certainly I think Jeremiah Alexander's a very good football player. I think he's more along the lines of a, um, you know, uh, God, oh, body touched that thing forward. What was his name? Uh, oh, yeah, Courtney Upshaw. Yeah, uh, he's got more of the Upshaw build to him. He's not, you know, he's not long like Will Anderson um, or Dallas Turner. And there's another guy. You know, I mean, he's not going to probably have the tackle production that Will Anderson did um, as a true freshman and, and probably only starting, what, you know, the last half of the season. But he's got a chance to have as many, if not more, sacks this year than Will Anderson did last year as a true freshman. So, you know that 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 you know is is great of a coach as he is. I mean, Nick Saban and Sal Sanceri have a very challenging, you know, off season. You know, juggling all that talent and only having two spots to put them all in at the outside linebacker room for 2022. Yeah, they really do. They really. Uh, it's a uh, it's a good problem to have though if you're Sal Sanceri and he does such a great job of coaching. We've seen what he did with. Uh, Will Anderson developing him into the, I think, the best defensive player in all of college football, uh, you know, and then of Dallas Turner, his development, what he's did with uh, Drew Sanders. I really love Drew. Everybody keeps trying to put Drew at fucking tight end. Pardon my French, but he's a defensive player. Okay, I, yeah, I, I'd, I'd put him, I'd put him at inside linebacker before I ever did tight end, if that's what it came down to. Amen. I'd do the same thing, especially if Christian Harris moves on to the NFL. I hope Henry Toa comes back, but if he has a great playoff. He may improve his draft stock to the point where he moves on, so it'll open up opportunities inside uh, for a lot of competition and a lot of playing time. And uh, iron sharpens iron there. Look, I don't really, and I'm going to be honest with you, I don't care who leaves anymore under Nick Saban because I know they're going to be able to plug guys in. Uh, You know, and maybe it it takes a while to get the chemistry down. I think we all understand that. But eventually, uh, with the coaching and player development, they're going to get going. Even this team has done that, uh, you know, and uh, the defense got off to a slower start than anticipated, but they're playing much better now and anxious to see how they, you know, they play against Cincinnati. The, uh, the, the feedback we've gotten from Nick Saban and from what you're hearing sounds like bowl practice has gone well. So, you know, if this team keeps their eyes on the prize, I think they're going to, you know, advance to the national championship game, but we'll talk about that next week. But guys, I'm going to let you and Thomas take over. I appreciate you letting me join in and give some thoughts on the recruiting class. I really like it as a group. Like I said, I, I think Amari Nyblack is probably the most underrated player in the whole group. Uh, I think, you know, I think he's got a chance to be a special guy, maybe even as a freshman. We'll just have to see there. And, again, 
I think Aaron Anderson as well is probably my favorite player because of his explosiveness and what he can do. But I think they sign difference makers at every level. Uh, just maybe from a number standpoint, might need to add a D lineman out of the portal. But I think other than that, that's nitpicking. I think it's a great group, and I would take it uh, in, in you know pound for pound and man for man with Texas A&M's because the way I look at it, Jimbo and his staff will screw it up. Uh, they won't develop them properly. They won't be able to manage the roster, and A&M will probably, you know, come up a little short. But I appreciate y'all for having me tonight and uh, look forward to hopefully uh, breaking down some Cincinnati, Alabama uh, in a few days before uh, we hit the college football playoff. But Merry Christmas to all the listeners out there. Uh, this will be our last show before then. I appreciate everybody for supporting BAMS Radio, and you guys have a great rest of the show, and good night, and, I'll, and roll tide, and we'll talk again soon. No, thanks, Drew. Thanks, Drew. Well, you know, William, we, we're not going to talk about uh, much Cincinnati, but I want to just sort of peel maybe maybe open the first page of this book up because I think there's there's a lot to be uh, just discussed. And, and I really want to talk about one statistical anomaly that has driven me crazy. Yes, the math guy is being driven crazy by math. So when you look at Cincinnati, on a per-play basis, the Cincinnati defense is wonderful. I mean, it, it, they truly are an elite defense. Their offense, though, is fairly mediocre. I mean, it's not awful, but it's not going to set the world on fire. It's pretty middle of the pack. But the problem is – when you try and break this team down, and this has been the thing that I've kind of I've been trying to wrap my head around since it was announced, Cincinnati played something like the 80th or the 87th best schedule throughout the year, and Alabama played like the sixth, depending on what metric you used. And when you when you talk about trying to make those stats match. You have this uns this this problem that you only you can't give a good answer to minus making some inferences, because is Cincinnati's defense truly elite, or have they never or have has this group not run into a team with the offensive talent that the University of Alabama is going to bring? Similarly, has a a decent but unspectacular offense been statistically decent and unspectacular against a fairly mediocre set of defenses because in one particular case, you know, Cincinnati is an efficiency-based rushing attack. They want to stay second and five, second and six, third and three because Desmond Ritter is not going to be good enough to beat them. So, so – Maybe give if you if you have a a, a less mathematical thought process because I'm I'm the math guy I get it I'll own that to the end of time when you just like fifty thousand feet you look at this Cincinnati team what do you see that that gets to play Alabama in a week and change? Well, you know I'm not the math guy, but you know my my football math is going to add up to basically exactly what your analytical math just, you know, spoke. Um, you know, I think the, the two biggest hurdles that the Cincinnati football team, um, you know, has to overcome, number one, you already mentioned the first one, the, the strength of schedule. 
you know, I think there's going to be a big, big level of competition hurdle for them to overcome going up against Alabama, um, who has played much better competition throughout the course of the season. And, and also, you know, on both sides of the line of scrimmage. And, you know, I think Alabama's in the top 10, if not the top five now, um, you know, versus the run. And, you know, it, they make it very difficult. You know, you saw them take away the run, uh, you know, versus Georgia in the SEC um, championship game. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, Ritter's deficiencies, you know, despite all the passes to um, Brock Bowers in the SEC championship game, Stetson Bennett and those Georgia wide receivers, um, you know, just weren't good enough or dynamic enough to, to stress Alabama's secondary. And, you know, I think the same problem is going to fall in, uh, you know, Cincinnati's lap. You know, they are not going to be prepared. They, they can't get their players, um, you know, the looks and, and bowl prep that they're going to see, um, you know, next Friday. So, you know, I think – and there again, they're going to have some pressure on them emotionally to be, you know, the first, you know, team in their position out of one of the, you know, Power Five conferences that have been in – um, you know, the, the college football playoff. You know, people have been jumping and screaming from the rooftops for years for this matchup to happen. Well, those people are going to get to see whether they were on the right side of that point or the wrong side next Friday. Um, albeit, and it's going to be against a team um, that's, you know, kind of still the walking wounded. And, you know, for Alabama to get to this position, I mean, I'll say it right now because I know they're anti-Nick Saban um, on an annual basis anyway, based on the few times that he's won the, you know, the, the head coach of the year award. But if he wins a national championship um, with this team, um, with all of their deficiencies, and, and, and right now a lot of those deficiencies are that the best players at each position aren't going to be playing in this game next Friday, then this will be his best coaching job in his tenure at Alabama, um, this is this, this national championship win would be a theft. I I, yep. I, th- I would call it just a straight theft. Agree, agree. And, and you know you can you can tell what you know the the defensive coordinators you know position is going to be on this, um, and th- I think that'll be kind of the 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 sexy trend going into this game. You know they're going to take their their you know first round draft pick cornerback. And maybe bracket that, you know, the James, Jameson Williams and try and shut him down and say, okay, no John Mechie, who else can you hurt us with? Well, you know, you saw um, Ja'Cory Brooks, you know, hurt Auburn a little bit. You know, somebody that nobody on other teams probably outside of Alabama fans had ever heard of. You know, you've seen Treshawn Holden uh, step up all season long in, in brief flashes and make plays, you know, a uh, a totally bought in and, and, you know, not making drops and getting penalties, Jaleel Billingsley and Cameron Law too, um, you know, depending on how Bill O'Brien wants to dial this up. But, you know, that, that all might be mute points if you know, Alabama is able to do what Cincinnati wants to do. You know, if they can run the ball on first down and get a second and six, all of a sudden Bill O'Brien's playbook is wide ass open um, from what his, you know, plays that he can dial up on second and six are. Um, and there again, um, you know, the things that you can do with a quarterback that's as, that's as dynamic and um, can improvise on the run and, and still see the field and make plays. I mean, I think Gary Danielson is still stroking out over the, 
wishbone pitch to uh, Brian Robinson, you know, on the right sideline there against Georgia a couple Saturdays ago. So, I mean, I'm looking forward to the game. Um, I really am. But, you know, we'll dive off deeper into this, um, you know, on the next show. But I, I think you nailed it, Thomas. I think Cincinnati's strength of schedule and possibly Alabama being, you know, better on both sides of the line of scrimmage, um, you know, outside of having the Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback, was probably going to be the difference in this game. And, and William, I'll give our listeners a statistic so you can wow your family at the Christmas lunch or dinner table. You know, because football is going to get talked about. It's a Southern thing. And you probably have a, a, fam- a family member who has the unfortunate penchant to be a not Alabama fan. Can't sympathize, but I'll tell you how to shut him up. Cincinnati's best win is against Notre Dame. Notre Dame is five, I believe. I think that's where they landed. Georgia is four, even though they were one when Alabama played them. Or no, they're three, excuse me. I apologize. So those wins, they just, I would argue they cancel out. Uh, best, on, best on best, it's close enough that they just cancel. But in order to get to the second best team Cincinnati has played, you have to go 10 games down Alabama's schedule. The only two teams that Alabama played that are not better than Cincinnati's second-best team were New Mexico State, who might be the worst team in college football in in the FBS, and Southern Mississippi. That's how lopsided this schedule is. And realize, again, that's like – that, that, that's what it looks like from a statistical perspective and what's been driving me insane. Of course, we are going to talk about it a little bit more. Uh, and I, I just want to touch like a couple of minutes on Michigan, Georgia, because again, it's football, it's football season. The, one of the reasons I think Alabama is in the driver's seat. And I believe I said this after the sec championship is that one Alabama has the best quarterback in the playoff, and it's not really that close. Um, It's almost laughably not close. But realize that Cincinnati will test Alabama, but Georgia and Michigan are going to beat the crap out of each other for four quarters because those teams want to beat the crap out of each other for four quarters. So, you know, and they're going to have to put whoever wins that game, and I still favor Georgia, but if, if Michigan were to win, I wouldn't be shocked. Whoever wins that game is going to have to put a lot into it and then get back up to play probably Alabama and a completely different offensive attack than they've been preparing for the first go-around. So I really think Alabama's in the driver's seat here, but, man, I'm looking forward to that at that Georgia-Michigan game just as a sit on the couch, hopefully Alabama has won, and watch Alabama just beat the snot out of – or watch Michigan and – Georgia beat the snot out of each other before going to a New Year's Eve party. What are your, you know, 10,000-foot thoughts about Michigan and the Michigan Georgia? Then we'll get out of here, William. Well, you know, I think that uh, you, you maybe can say the same thing about Georgia that, that we've been talking about with Cincinnati. Um, you know, Michigan's played a tougher schedule than Georgia has. Um, and, you know, I, I personally – you know, think that the Georgia front seven is, is is better than Ohio State's, but I don't think they're leaps and bounds better. You know, I mean that they, they they pump out first round draft picks out of their front seven on an annual basis. You know, just like Alabama does. 
And so, you know, I think whichever team wins the, you know, the 4 a.m. dark alley ass whipping contest that can run consistently, um, you know, I don't think, and they're again, very comparable offenses. You know, I don't think Michigan's tight has a tight end as good as Brock Bowers, but, you know, they like to incorporate their tight ends and the passing attack. Michigan has, you know, better, more dynamic wide receivers than they've had in the last 10 years. They've got a couple of guys that can stretch a defense. Um, like, like you said, I think this is the, the game out of the two that, that intrigues me the most because I think both teams are, um, you know, going to try to do similar things to each other. And, you know, Michigan is vastly improved, you know, now that they finally got Grandpa uh, Don Brown out of there as their defensive coordinator. They've certainly upgraded um, in, in the defensive coordinator position. And, um, you know, I, I personally think Michigan might be a little bit more battle-tested than Georgia. Um, we'll see how that plays out. But um, that that would be um, a, a late, late Christmas present for me. Um, you know, there's been a lot of, you know, college football programs that Nick Saban has broken um, in, his, in his, you know, tenure at Alabama, you know, mostly in the SEC. But if you know the the rematch happens and you know if if georgia doesn't beat michigan that's going to pretty much send them off the cliff but if they do and nick saban beats georgia again you can go ahead and add georgia to the list i guess you can call it the old meat pole that we used to call it when i was at alabama um but he will absolutely have ruined and destroyed um, the Georgia fan base because they're losing so many players, even as overzealous and delusional as they are about all things Georgia football, they all are freely admitting that they're going to lose so much after the season's over with to the draft and graduation. Um, you know, they're still probably going to be the best team in the East next year, but th they just don't feel like they're a playoff team like they do now. And they certainly don't think they're going to have the, the generational defense that they thought they had this year, but um, that, you know, that Michigan Georgia um, matchup has a lot of implications and ramifications attached to it. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll, I'll put a point on it. Should Georgia fail to win a national championship this year, Georgia will not win a national title while Nick Saban's at Alabama. It, it just, it just okay. won't happen. That, that, the, the and for, for fans, I mean, never, we, when we did Georgia prep, I looked at it. You're talking about Georgia losing something on the order of 30 players between graduation and leave early for the draft. And it's not just, you know, 25 guys and a couple of starters. No, it's like three quarters of your defensive too deep. It's gross. It, it is just absolutely insane. So if, you know, that, that's going to be a tough spot and we'll see. But uh, put me down for should they not do it, Georgia's going to break. And I, I know I, I know he he coached at Alabama, but don't sleep on Billy Napier at Florida. No, 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 no. I, I we haven't really talked about the 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 coaching um, hires. You know, my, the two biggest shockers to me um, of the the coaching hire is people discounting the Napier hire to Florida. Now I want to see. Um, the the rest of his staff that he puts together. You know, if he gets a, you know, a Tosh Lapoy, there's sounds like there might be a bidding war between uh, Tosh Lapoy to Billy Napier at, at uh, Florida, or Tosh Lapoy to Dan Lanning at Oregon. 
Um, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. The guy's been successful as a position coach and as a, an elite recruiter, um, both in the southeast and out on the west coast. But I think the, the Florida head coaching hire um, by far and away is, in my opinion, the best one that's been made so far. Um, and, and the you know, the one that I'm still scratching my head at, and we'll have to wait and see how it plays out, um, is, is Mario Cristobal making the decision to return to, you know, to his hometown and take over Miami. Um, you know, we'll have to wait and see if, in fact, that is a true total rebuild or if, you know, that roster has just been, you know, tamped on and, and the program's been beat down by, you know, piss poor mismanagement by the administration. You know, Mario was pretty adamant during his tenure. Um, and I'm trying to remember who they hired. He was deep into negotiations with them. Was that, when, Al, was that Al Golden? It was either Gold. Yeah, I think it was Golden. And, you know, made the comment to you know some people in his inner circle that, you know, he would never even consider that job unless the AD, the president, and, uh, you know, there was some type of financial guarantees um, for facilities improvements and the recruiting budget, the coaching staff salaries, that kind of thing. Well, he's he's got some mega successful lawyer, you know, slash uh, billionaire entrepreneur named John Ruiz that's, you know, made a, a pledge to build him a new stadium and to, you know, put put money in place for you know on on campus facilities and the recruiting budget and stuff. So I think that's going to be an interesting thing to watch. Probably going to take a few years for, you know, for us to say, well, you know, that was a good decision by Mario or it was a bad decision by Mario. But yeah, I think that, you know, th there's there's two guys. I, I know I know Billy Napier. If he can go to, you know, ooh la la down there and. uh and, you know, win 10, 11 games a year for three or four years or a row, whatever it's been, then he can do pretty damn good at getting Gainesville. And I've still got my eye on, and I, I think, you know, if, uh, you know, they hadn't just, you know, thrown all the votes, you know, to fourth and Kirby, um, you know, and, and probably my second pick for, you know, SEC coach of the year, you know, taking the greatest of all time out of the equation, you know, would have certainly have been Sam Pittman. But an honorable mention would have gone to uh, uh, Beamer at South Carolina. You know, for him to get that team bowl eligible, I mean, they got a huge gift from the Auburn Tigers. But for him to get that team bowl eligible with the roster that he inherited and basically having to navigate a, uh, an SEC football schedule with a graduate assistant playing some quarterback for him, I mean, that's unbelievable. Um, and, you know, got a – you know, Spencer Rattler to transfer in. Um, so, you know, he, he's in a tough spot to recruit at, you know, being surrounded by Clemson and, um, you know, Georgia and now Mario at Florida, Napier, I mean, Mario at Miami, Napier at Florida, and probably to a lesser extent with Mac Brown at UNC. But, you know, that's a program that, that historically is kind of always underachieved in my book. Um, two or three years ago, they built a brand new football complex, uh, weight room that'll rival anybody's, you know, in the SEC, probably outside of Alabama and Texas A&M. So, you know, I think he's got some stuff in place over there. And, you know, maybe in a couple years, you know, you're going to have both Napier and, and Beamer, you know, kind of putting some some pressure on Fourth and Kirby over there. It's going to be interesting to watch. Certainly. And I, I'll, I do want to briefly comment on the Mario Cristobal thing. I actually really like it. 
because I think the ACC is wide open. Uh, I think the shine is kind of off Clemson because, you know, Dabo Sweeney has, is going to have to deal with a, an update, you know, updating his coaching staff. His golden coordinators have finally left. And I'll be interested to see what happens. I would be willing to bet Miami's making a bet that they can take over as class of the ACC. I, I don't think it's a bad bet given circumstances. But, you know, there's plenty to talk about. and We have a whole offseason. So I, I just kind of wanted to bounce around a little bit and have a chance to chit-chat about goings-on. Uh, but that's it for this episode of BAMS Radio. Thank you all for listening. I apologize for kind of a weird schedule. We'll be back uh, next week. I believe we are going to roll Sunday, so I'll release it on Monday. We're going to be really drilling in on Michigan and Georgia and Cincinnati and Alabama. I promise I'm going to figure out this statistical issue, and I will state my assumptions forthwith, and you can agree or disagree with them based on those assumptions. But that's it for this episode of BAMS Radio. Good night, everybody. Roll Tide, and have a Merry Christmas. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.